Hello there and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Ida Waringa in Nairobi, Kenya, and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we take a look at the just-ended English Premier League season. Six weeks of action in empty stadiums and so many talking points. We hear from fans in Ghana. I'm an Arsenal fan, but uh, it's been a difficult number of years for us. Plus, did Liverpool captain Jordan Henderson deserve to win the Football Writers Association Footballer of the Year award? And a look ahead to Saturday's FA Cup final. That's coming later, but first a story that's been much talked about in Africa this week, particularly in East Africa, as Belgian coach Luc Emael was fired as coach of Tanzanian giants Yanga after an outburst in an interview where he called Tanzanian fans dogs and compared them to chanting monkeys. Emael later apologised and said that he was provoked by a fan from rival Simba. Well, the South Africa Football Association say that they intend to ban AML from returning to work in the country again, having coached three clubs there. Tell us more, Ida. Well, he's been quite the journeyman across the continent, Steve. I mean, we here in Kenya are pretty familiar with him. He had a stint at one of the more notable clubs on the side, AFC Leopards. Though it didn't last long, barely five months, and that was back in 2013. But Steve, what a dramatic few months those were. Because in the middle of his coaching stint, he pulled a disappearing act, then came back with huge salary demands. And the club at the time wasn't doing well while he was at the helm, because there was also tons of division within the technical bench with who, not getting along with who, because I'm all as a lot of people have probably figured out by now, is a very divisive figure. So he ultimately dared the club to sack him, which they did. (laughs) And then not too long after that, he jumped ship to Rwanda. So those familiar with his antics will know that this isn't the first time and frankly won't be the last that has seen him, you know, being very controversial. The only difference is that this was probably the first time it was recorded for the masses. But all in all, well, he's coached 18 clubs in his 21 years as a manager, almost equating to a club every year. Tells you something. And the longest he's coached a club was for just under four years. That was in his first ever gig back in 1999 while he was still based in Belgium. But since then, you know, it's been year long and sometimes, oftentimes actually, month long stays at clubs. I mean, he was at younger for barely seven months before this whole mess. And Africa, Steve and the Middle East seem to be his preferred destinations. Over 10 of those 18 clubs have been in Africa with multiple coaching stints in South Africa, as you said. So, you know what? Kudos to Safa for their action to ban him because it seems that the Belgian is confident of always bagging a job somewhere within the continent, and that should not be the case. But Steve, Imel's case, while outrageous, does point to a bigger problem, if you ask me, because... The coach is so confident in his ridiculous behavior because he knows he's aware of Africa's preference for foreign coaches over local coaches who are just as good, if not better. I mean, his first club in Africa was AS Vita. 
a Congo giant known throughout the continent. And he became AS Vita coach straight from coaching third, fourth and fifth division teams in Belgium. He coached small teams in Belgium for 11 years before moving to one of the biggest clubs in Africa, Steve Howe. Why do we constantly accept mediocre in the name of, you know, foreign is better? Because I can't imagine that situation being replicated if it was the other way around. You know, you come from coaching, you might even come from coaching some of the biggest clubs in Africa and still not have it made for you outside of the continent. So it's still very much a systemic problem, Steve, not just a look, I'm all problem. Yeah, it really is. And there are so many examples of local coaches who've done so well in Africa, but haven't even been paid in full for their work. Thanks for that, Ida. That's a big issue. Now let's go to the English Premier League here on Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. And the resumption of the Premier League gave us six weeks of fast and furious action after that long wait that we had for games to resume. We won't have to wait too long for the new season because it kicks off on the 12th of September. The transfer window is open and some interesting moves already. We'll talk more about that next week. And there's lots of football in August too, by the way, with the UEFA Champions League round of 16 to be completed. And then the quarterfinals, semifinals and final to be played in Lisbon in Portugal with the final on the 23rd of August. Well, in the Premier League, Liverpool, of course, uh, finishing top. They had 99 points. Manchester City, 81 points. Manchester United, third on 66, ahead of Chelsea on goal difference. Leicester on 62. Tottenham on 59. Wolves on 59 took seventh. And Arsenal, eighth with 56 points. After the resumption, games were played in empty stadiums, but with crowd noise as we watched on TV. There were water breaks. Up to five substitutes were allowed. And in many countries people couldn't gather in public places to watch so it was all a bit different let's get a view from ghana as planet sport football africa's betty yorson spoke to fans in accra i'm a liverpool fan proud one for that matter and if i tell you if i say that i was impressed with my my team's performance this season it will be an understatement liverpool just gave me the joy i've been desiring since i started supporting the team it couldn't have been any better and you know what made it nice that we overcame covid19 overcame null and void all that happened liverpool overcame everything. We came, we saw, we conquered. This um, success we achieved in the 2019-2020 season, we better it in the 2020-2021 season. It was a great season. Generally, football all over the world suffered the coronavirus pandemic ruining uh, some solid three months. And so, uh, yes, a lot of people feel that that took the shine of Liverpool's win, but all in all, it was. I think it was a great season. As a Chelsea fan, personally as well, I think it was a good season for us and for our debut manager as well, Frank Lampard. And so, uh, just a second year in management, and even before we ended the season, we've been able to bring in big name signings, and we're linked to big name signings as well. Get your jerseys on and get your groove on. But the season was a good one. Um, I, as a fan of City, Man City, I mean, I, I enjoyed the season. Unfortunately, Liverpool. 
were too good. Commendations to them, Klopp and his charges or team. I did not enjoy the, the water breaks. I, it brought so many breaks into the game at a point where you were, you were enjoying the game, the game was flowing, and then there will be a water break. I mean, I'm not watching basketball. I'm watching football, and we need to allow the game to flow. Uh, mostly, if you watch during the water breaks, it was more of a time for the coaches to, again, coach their teams. And for me, I think it's not good enough. Let's get back to what football is known for. It's half time that we can go in for a break. If not, let's play 45 minutes straight up so we can enjoy our games. So for me, I think that going forward, I do not want to see the water breaks in there again. The EPL this season was very topsy-turvy because, of course, we had the coronavirus pandemic, so we had to go on a break. I'm an Arsenal fan, but... Uh, it's been a difficult number of years for us. You know, it's really difficult to tell what exactly our problem is because our players are good. When they play for other teams, when we, you know, we sell players to Chelsea and to Man U and to Liverpool, they do exceptionally well. But at Arsenal, they seem not to, you know, be getting those goals in. So I think, I think it has a lot to do with the psyche and the coach and. There's clearly something that is missing. There's maybe a communication gap of a sort. I think we need to strengthen our defence as well. It's very important. Yeah. Fans in Ghana speaking to Planet Sport Football Africa's Betty Yawson, taking a look back at the English Premier League season. So those fans were pleased that we did get to complete the season, although some criticism of the water breaks, and certainly Arsenal fans would agree with that supporter who sounds puzzled at their underachievement. But overall, a good season, they say, Stuart. I loved the enthusiasm of the Ghanaian fans, but it reminded me slightly of the morning after an election when listening to the leader of each party, you would think that they had all won. In the same way, I was intrigued that all the fans seemed fairly satisfied with their team season. There's no doubt that Liverpool were worthy winners and thoroughly deserved the title, but I wouldn't entirely agree with the statement that they couldn't have been better. Manchester City were disappointingly inconsistent. City lost nine games compared to Liverpool's three, but Manchester City scored 102 Premier League goals, 17 more than Liverpool, and in my opinion, at their best, played brilliant football, probably the best football we saw in the Premier League last season. I agree it was a good season for Chelsea, finishing fourth in the league table and reaching the FA Cup final. But I do think that they will be disappointed that defeats towards the end of the season to West Ham and Sheffield United allowed Manchester United to overtake them. And similarly, Chelsea's 3-0 defeat at home to Bayern Munich in the Champions League, with the second leg to come next week, shows that they have a bit to go before they become a top European team. But as the Chelsea fan said, signing Timo Werner from Leipzig and Hakim Ziyech from Ajax will certainly strengthen them next season. So overall, certainly a good first season for Frank Lampard. I love too the positivity of the Arsenal fan, although confessing not to knowing what the problem is. But I think just as Manchester United found replacing Alex Ferguson difficult, resulting in several changes of manager and years in the wilderness, I think Arsenal's experience of replacing Arsene Wenger is probably equally difficult. Because it's not just a case of replacing one coach with another, because Wenger, in a similar way to Ferguson, was much more than a coach with great influence throughout the club. The new structures will take time, but it must be strange for Arsenal to find themselves behind Wolves in the table and just two points above Sheffield United and Burnley. 
No one mentioned Manchester United, but I think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer can look back on the season with some pride. A run of 14 games unbeaten in the Premier League took United to third place, their best finish since the days of Ferguson. Halfway through the season, the chances of Manchester United finishing ahead of Leicester City or Chelsea seemed very small, but that lit run saw them take third place. They were helped by the award of 14 penalties in the Premier League, the highest ever for any club, and a total of 20 penalties in all competitions. Is it really true that the big clubs get all the penalties? One thing I think we can all agree on is that water breaks are unnecessary, an interruption to the flow of the game. I so agree with the comment that we are not watching basketball. We want a continuous game, not stop-start. Again, I totally agree that they're not water breaks, but timeouts and coaching breaks. Hopefully, we've seen the last of them. I'm equally not convinced by the five substitutes, but I think we're stuck with that for at least another season. Yes, the idea of the five substitutes and the water breaks was to reduce the physical strain on the players with two games a week. Uh, I must say, I also didn't like those at water breaks, though. And, Stuart, there was some difference of opinion among fans on whether Liverpool captain Jordan Henderson deserved to win the Football Writers Association Footballer of the Year award. What's your take on that? The Footballer of the Year award used to go to the best player in the league, or the player who made the greatest contribution to his club. And on that basis, I would suggest that the three strongest candidates this year would have been Kevin De Bruyne, who simply looked the best player in the Premiership. A case could also be made for Jimmy Vardy, whose 23 goals got him the golden boot, and until July looked as if he had taken a fairly average Leicester City team into the Champions League. And my third nomination would be for Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, whose 22 league goals represented a great individual effort in a very average Arsenal team, not to mention his two semi-final goals to beat Manchester City and take Arsenal to the FA Cup final. But these days, Football of the Year tends to be from a trophy-winning club. With Liverpool winning the league for the first time in 30 years, it was inevitable that it would be a Liverpool player. Mo Salah and Sadio Mane scored 19 and 18 goals respectively. Virgil van Dijk was arguably the best defender in the Premier League. Jordan Henderson, on the other hand, started only 26 of 38 league games. And some people would say he's probably not in the strongest Liverpool starting eleven. So as a player, you could ask questions. But I think there are two reasons why he received the award. Firstly, he is the captain who galvanised and led the team to that first Premier League Championship title for so long. And secondly, away from football, at a time when clubs were asking players to take a cut in wages to help them through the COVID crisis, Henderson showed great leadership in working with the captains of the other 19 clubs to say that while they would not take a cut in wages, they would personally donate significant sums of money out of their own pockets to help local hospitals. I don't think Henderson was the outstanding player in the Premier League, but perhaps he was the outstanding leader. 
Yes, and we're asking for your views on this on social media this week. Did Jordan Henderson deserve the award?、Uh, so much discussion after the Liverpool captain was given the English Football Writers Association Footballer of the Year award.、Uh, statistics showed that the Reds' performance dropped when he wasn't playing, but many others felt that he was not their best player, let alone the best player in the Premier League. Others in the top five were Virgil Van Dijk, Sadio Mane, Kevin De Bruyne, and Marcus Rashford, who, like Henderson, did a lot to. Help others off the field, as Stuart mentioned. So it's an interesting question. You can give us your views. Did Henderson deserve the award? Otherwise, who would you have given it to, and what are your reasons? You can go to our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa, and post a comment there, or send us a WhatsApp on plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. And as Stuart, the relegation battle was particularly fierce this season. Absolutely, it went to the wire with Aston Villa surviving in the Premier League, while Bournemouth and Watford joined Norwich City in being relegated. Norwich were always going to be relegated. They were bottom three since October and in last place since December. Watford, as we remarked last week, probably did themselves no favours with four managers during the season. But the reality is they were never higher than 16th in the league table, and that is with 1819 and 20th being relegated. While they lost both their final games after firing Nigel Pearson, leaving themselves needing to beat either Manchester City or Arsenal to survive was always going to be a tough task. Many people will be sad to see AFC Bournemouth relegated after five years in the Premier League. They're a small town team whose ground holds fourteen thousand and have always punched above their weight. In November, they were seventh in the league table, but then lost eighteen and won only five of the remaining games. Simply not good enough. We've talked a few times about Aston Villa with their four or five African players promoted last year. It was a tough season for them, and they were never higher than fifteenth in the league table. But they got the results when it mattered, with two wins and two draws in their last four games. They survived by one point, with a draw in the last game at West Ham, when a defeat would have relegated them and saved Bournemouth. But let's not forget that Aston Villa got a point against Sheffield United. When United were denied a goal which had clearly crossed the line.、Hmm. Finally, remember Southampton, who went seven games without a win in October, November. They were still bottom three in December, but then had a great resurgence to finish twelfth, which just shows you what can be done. The challenge for the relegated clubs now will be to hold on to their Premier League standard players in the hope that they can get promotion next season. But if you look at the Championship League table, you'll see Reading, Huddersfield, Stoke, Wigan, and Hull all in the bottom half, and Sunderland in the third tier. It just shows you how easy it is to be relegated and not return. Yes, it's a hard road back to the Premier League, and a bouncing straight back is not easy at all. There were those ten games on last Sunday at the same time on the final day. Many of us here in Zimbabwe were watching the West Ham Aston Villa game rather than the biggest match, the Man United Leicester game, as Zimbabwe's marvelous Nakamba plays for Villa, and fans here were delighted to see his team survive. 
Well, thanks, Stuart. Uh, Do stay with us, because still to come, Stuart on Saturday's FA Cup final. This is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. Uh, You can follow us on Twitter at Planet Sport FA. You can download our app and listen to the show anytime and access past programs in our archive. To download the app, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. Well, last week on social media, we asked her, how has your family helped you in football? We heard from Nigeria international Ola Aina, who plays for Torino in Italy. Aina made it through the Chelsea Academy thanks to the huge sacrifices of his parents, who had long daily journeys to take him to training and often spent more than they could afford as they helped him through. So we asked, are the things that your parents or other family members did to help you to play football? Maybe to join a club or to give you a chance in the game? Or maybe did they help you to fall in love with football by taking you to watch matches? Well, we had a marvellous response with many of you getting in touch to share your experiences. And here to present them is Planet Sport Football Africa's Ephraim Tagu. Thanks a lot, uh, Steve. And we start today with uh, Lamine Sane in the Gambia. Yes, indeed, my family are a huge uh, source of support in my football, uh, says Lamine. Uh, they give me their moral support and uh, finances uh, to keep me going at all times. They wash my uh, training gear and prepare food uh, to be ready on time before I head out for practice. If Africa is to make meaningful gains in football, uh, parents have a leading role to play in supporting their kids, says mean. Alfred Mdimba is in Malawi. Here in Malawi, says Alfred, young men are encouraged to go out to play by their parents, more especially after lunch. It's a part of the culture. Abrima KB Sonko in the Gambia says, unfortunately, I was never a good footballer, even though my mom and dad would always try whatever they could to help me by giving me footballs and some replica jerseys to wear. I ended up becoming a journalist and an enthusiastic sport. Lover. Dominic Ompile in Botswana also had supportive parents. Yes, they supported me by buying soccer boots for me, says Dominic. Abolong Baji in the Gambia was also encouraged by his parents. I was born to parents who were farmers and who didn't have enough to support me financially, says Bolong. They limited my time working on the farm so I could focus on my education, go to football training and attend the local Gambian Nawaten matches. But unfortunately, I abused those opportunities to develop into a good player because of my short-temperedness, which I now regret. Today I still attend matches and watch them on TV so I haven't lost my love for the game, says Bolong. Grey Mopia is in Nigeria. My family assisted me a lot in playing football, says Grey. I won a lot of trophies for my local club, but I retired from football five years ago due to injury, but life is now really hard without football. 23-year-old Richard in Ghana has already played football in Ghana, Singapore, Dubai and Kenya. My parents are trying to help me to be one of the biggest footballers in Ghana, but things are not going well, 
he says. Well, Richard, on behalf of all the team here, we hope uh, things improve and wish you every success with your football career. Uh, so then, Steve, uh, quite a few correspondents uh, did have encouragement from their parents in football. Well, that's not been the case for everyone. Esunge is in Cameroon. My experience was sad, says Esunge. My father was a prominent footballer in the 70s, but he didn't encourage me to become a professional soccer player. His frustrations and argument lay in the fact that football wasn't so developed back then and players were left to cater for their own basic needs to an extent. That discouraged him from supporting my zeal to become a footballer. This was a shame because had it been the case today, I think the story would have been different. Mustafa is in Malaysia and uh, he has a similar story. As a kid growing up, it was hard for me to play football, says Mustafa. My father always prevented me. I'd have to sneak away uh, with my friends to play football. And coming back home, I'd have to look clean because I could get punished if he noticed. My father wanted me to focus on education rather than playing football, even though I was a good player whom everyone admired in the society. Eventually, I started to get his support when I finished my high school and started going to university. Basiru in the Gambia had a similar experience. I was the first born child growing up in an extended family and my dad never wanted me to be a footballer says Basiru. I was in my school team and also playing for our community team but when he found out he stopped me from going and never allowed me to play football again. It was devastating because we all love the beautiful game of football. Now, that's a sad story there from uh, Basiru. But Bakari Nyasi, also in the Gambia, found support from a different family member. Uh, football was not as popular when I was growing up as it is today. Uh, says Bakari, my dad passed away when I was five years old and my mom didn't know anything about football. But on the other hand, one of my elder brothers was a footballer and he normally took me to watch local matches at a nearby park. He is now the grassroots coordinator of male football at the Gambia Football Festival. Federation says Bakari. Ibrahim in Sierra Leone had a similar experience with a supportive brother. I don't play competitive football, says Ibrahim, but my brother was the one who used to take me to watch matches, both local games and internationals here in Sierra Leone. Abdul Aziz Bojang in the Gambia has also been helped by his brother. I play for many teams in my country, the Gambia, says Abdul. I've won many cups, but it's uh, very difficult to travel because my background is not strong financially. My parents passed away and my brother is trying his best to help me in football. I would like to travel to Morocco or Algeria to join other clubs or academies there to develop my football. So, Steve, from those comments, the attitude of parents or other family members is very important in terms of uh, developing interest in children and in them fulfilling their potential. Yes, uh, thanks, Ephraim. That's Ephraim Tagu here in Harare. And uh, thanks very much to everyone who got in touch. Uh, apologies, we didn't uh, manage to read out your comment, but we really enjoyed going through all of them. And a great many thanks to those who contributed. Well, finally, let's go back to Stuart Weir in the UK because the FA Cup final is on on Saturday. It's Chelsea against Arsenal at Wembley. Sounds appetising, Stuart. Chelsea and Arsenal are two London clubs contesting the FA Cup final. I was about to say that's very convenient for their fans, who want to far to travel, but of course there won't be any fans. Strangely, those two clubs have dominated the Cup in the past 20 years. Each team has won the Cup six times, 
Chelsea have been in eight finals and Arsenal seven. I don't know whether it's an omen, but they have played each other twice in the cup final, 2002 and 2017, and Arsenal won both times. Chelsea being in the final raises two interesting human stories. Chelsea have won the cup eight times in their history, but seven of those have come in the last 25 years. And as a player, Frank Lampard played in four cup finals, winning them all. And now he has a chance not only to win the cup as a player for Chelsea, but as a manager. And assuming he selected Olivier Giroud, will play his fifth FA Cup final, and like his manager, he has won all of them. But what makes Giroud's record more intriguing is that he's played in three Cup finals for Arsenal and one for Chelsea. And this year, of course, he plays for Chelsea against Arsenal. Actually, Steve, I have a hot tip for Arsenal. Giroud has scored in the last four games he's played for Chelsea. And he scored each time in stoppage time at the end of the first half. So all Arsenal need to do is mark him closely for those five minutes of stoppage time and not worry about the rest of the game. I don't know if you noticed, Steve, but playing football for the first time in the Premier League in July has enabled Harry Kane to establish a unique record. He's become the first player to score in the Premier League on all seven days of the week and in all 12 months of the year. Uh, remember the days when all the games were on Saturday afternoon, but with games every night of the week and every month of the year, Kane has set the record. One other fascinating statistic has emerged. Since lockdown, there have been less yellow cards shown in the Premier League, but what is particularly significant is that the number of yellow cards awarded to away team players has dropped by 34%. This seems to imply that referees may have been influenced by reaction of the home crowd in their decision to award a yellow card to a visiting player. And without the crowd reaction, there have been significantly less yellow cards. Interesting. Well, really interesting that on how crowds maybe affect referees' judgment. Thanks a lot, Stuart. That's it for the show for this week. So from me, Steve Vickers and Ephraim Tagu in Harare, from Ida Waringa in Nairobi and Stuart Weir in the UK, thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.